This is episode 92 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 92 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Kellen James Paniccia back on the podcast from way back on episode 10. He's come back here for episode 92 to share the updates of what he's been up to. Since he was last on the show, Kellen went from being financially independent and still working a job to being laid off by that job. He didn't worry about it too much. He decided to buy a van and travel around the United States last summer. And since then, he's just been focused on growing his real estate portfolio further. So he grew it from 32 units to uh, now over 50 units and over $6.5 million in value. Kellen only started a short four years ago with, I believe he said $120,000 and he's grown that into something massive. He's an absolute inspiration. He reached out to me. He mentioned he'd be open to coming back on and share and some updates, and I thought it would be a really, really cool opportunity. As always, I'm just going to suggest that you head on back to episode one if you're new to this podcast. The people I know that have gone from start to finish on this podcast are very serious and very, very much action takers. Uh, that's not to toot my own horn. I believe that, that that is really tooting the horns of all the quality guests that have been on this podcast, and you should absolutely have an opportunity to benefit from that. I do ask if you're enjoying this podcast, if you have not already, please make sure that you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform it is that you listen on. And if you're watching on YouTube, give it a thumbs up. Make sure you're subscribed with notifications turned on. By all means, leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. I certainly do appreciate having you here. And without further ado, please enjoy episode 92 with Kellen James Panicha. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Kellen James Panicha on the podcast for the second time uh, back from episode 10. Yes. And now we're on episode 92. Yeah, 80 or so episodes later. That's crazy, man. Yeah, it's it's been a while. So this one, we're actually live on your Instagram, is it? Yeah. 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 Okay, so that's interesting. Never done that before. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, the people can uh, can follow along here. Um, there will be the live cut of this coming out uh, on the weekend. So, yes. Uh, on Sunday, this one will come out. So, Great. anyways, they get the the recap there. But anyways, yeah. Kellen, you've been uh, you've been busy. Tell me what you've been up to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, last we'd spoke, I forget where I was at at that point. It was it was a while back. I think but, we were like 32 doors. Okay, yeah. So that was probably yeah. right around the time that I'd left my day job or so. So, um, Well, you got you got laid off right after, yes, I think. Yes. Yeah. So I say I quit because it's like, I don't feel like explaining this story to everyone. But I was about to quit like two weeks. I was ready to get my two weeks notice in about two weeks. And then I ended up getting laid off from the day job, which was absolutely perfect timing for me. Um, and uh, so I was able to, you know, get some severance and kind of at that point, Angie and I, uh, my girlfriend, we left on a date on a van trip around the USA. So we did a typical millennial thing and uh, we converted a sprinter van. We drove around the USA for three months and lived in the van. Um, I had an amazing time. I, had, I, I did my best to manage stuff remotely, but I also had a friend of mine trying to help me out. It was, you know, I totally cowboyed it while I was away. Um, it worked. At least I got to go on this trip and then uh, kind of came back. And to be honest, for quite a while, I was spending a lot of my time just built uh just dealing with deferred maintenance so you know i purchased 32 units in two and a half years and then left the job and then i still had a ton of backlog of stuff to do so um you know i was doing purchase plus improvement stuff and i was doing cash back and closing and whatever i could do to get some of my money back out of every deal 
And so this was after the trip you came uh, back you, to just trying to squeeze squeeze more money. Honestly, out of this each has one? been throughout my journey. Uh, that's just what I've been doing. So so not every property was you know em- like te- like vacated and renovated. I was just finding ways to get money out of the deal so I could move on, so that it didn't just hold me up and I'm waiting for these people to get out before I can get my money back out and continue buying. Yeah. Right. Well, how were you getting money out of these deals? Yeah. So um, so cash back and closing is a, is a huge one. Um, of course, not every lender is uh, totally on board with that kind of thing. So okay, you have to make sure. This. Explain <laughs> this. So, um, so, so you'd have to find a very specific lender that's doing this. Otherwise, it's generally not allowed. But um, on the on after like on the day of closing, the lender or the seller would actually kick back a certain yeah. amount of money back to you. And right? I'm familiar with that structure. You can yeah. write anything into an offer that you want, but yeah. you have to disclose it to the lender. Yes, exactly. And so this usually only works with like, say, private lenders or something like that. Yeah. So that's generally who you'd probably want to deal with um, if you're doing it like that. Um, you know, some people structure with side agreements and things like that. Um, but of course, you're not technically allowed to depending on the lender you're working with. So, okay. Do you have an example? Like, are these private work- lenders you've done this with or have you done this with an institutional? <laughs> Um, I, uh, probably shouldn't get into too much detail on that, to be honest. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> so I um, don't want to say either. Which no. Way. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of, yeah, it, it was so like, like yeah. a lot of the stuff along the way I was doing, I would maybe be borrowing private funds from people, um, using it for down payments, things like that. Um, and you know, as long as it has like a 90 day history and it's seasoned in the bank, they're okay with things like that. But yeah, the cash back and closing stuff, um, it's a little bit, yeah, it's, it's sometimes a very specific scenario. Um, always has to be a private deal because you have to kind of trust the person you're working with, the person you're purchasing the property off of. Um, oh, okay. Because there's kind of a limbo phase there, right? Where it's like, hey, we've closed. Now they have to kick back a certain amount of money. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So there's a way of structuring that. So it's... Uh... You kind of have to have like, what, you know, questionable arm's length, right? So like that's kind of a challenge with certain lenders and things like that. So um yeah, I mean, that's just one of the strategies that I've tried to use. But like, um, I mean, yeah, purchase plus improvements was a huge one. So like anything where I could, you know, it wasn't necessarily doing full refinances, although I did a whole bunch of those. Um, purchase plus improvements were also uh, super helpful for, you know, getting my, some of my money back out of the deal. You know, renovating the property a little bit and uh, still leaving money in the property, but and not as much, right? Not as much in the deal. So you're obviously well along. I know you were doing a lot with Scotiabank. Yeah. It's it's been about a year and a half since you were on before. Yes, in the last year and a half, you've gone from you said roughly thirty two. I think you were at then. Where yeah. are you at now in terms of number of doors? I'll be closing on my fifty second door soon. So um, yeah, so that now I've been doing. I've been working with local credit unions. Actually, the first one. So when I got back from the from the van trip there, um, I didn't know who I could work with. So I talked to a mortgage broker. We kind of figured it out, and I ended up going with Home Trust, um, which was cool. But uh, you know, I had to pay like. I had, I had to be 6% and it was fine. The property still made a little over $800 a month in cash flow uh, after vacancy and maintenance, um, which was great, but it's not as not kind of like I tend to shoot for a thousand bucks per property. Um, like in, in even if it's, if it's a sixplex, you want to get a thousand bucks. Regardless of the property. That's why Four I generally plex, don't plex. buy duplexes anymore. Okay, right? so a thousand bucks. Yeah, it's just a rule of thumb I have in my head. I don't know. It, it's like, good to have your rules. I mean, yeah. I, I've had many that I've gone by. Like I want... I, I kind of just work with, I know they say 1% rule. Like yes. I would work that I would have to be at least 0.65%. Yeah. Um, and that would be after my burr. If I was doing a burr, I would want to make sure right. that I was still there. So I would know, okay, what can I get the rents to? What can I, what yes. can I get the value to? And then 
We all have our numbers in our heads, right? Like what, what is it we're shooting for? Right. Well, these are these quick little shortcuts, right? You come up yeah. with a shortcut and it just helps you analyze deals faster. You know which deals not even to look at because yes. they're so far outside of what traditionally works. Yes. That's something I try and tell people as much as I can. Like, you, like you, you're trying to value your time as much as you can, even earlier on in your journey, understanding what the value of your time is. And if you're spending you know, 20 minutes every time you come across a property in your spreadsheets and trying to figure out what it cash flows and all this stuff, Whereas you could have just said, look, this doesn't meet my 0.65% rule or my 1% rule or whatever it is you're going for. Um, you can just move on, right? Like more than likely, it's not, not the property for you. Um, so like learning how to quickly say no to properties along the way is such a valuable, um, valuable feature or valuable thing to learn. Um, so I definitely 1% rule has like always been kind of a rule of thumb for me. So that's where you're still, you're still working at 1% rule? One, one and up. Uh, I mean, there are sometimes I'll buy a property that's like 0.9 or whatever, but like that, and I'm basing that on not on current rents, but on potential rents. So okay. I'm okay with um, after renovation costs, um, am I meeting uh, 1% rule? Right. Or, okay. Yeah. yeah. So looking at what it can be. And I think you kind of have to have that attitude now. Like nothing's it, sitting on what the do you see? Yeah. What do you, what have you seen in London since the last time we talked? Cause we, yeah. we talked, uh, early 2019. Yeah. How, how has London changed in your eyes? Since yeah. Then? Yeah. So, I mean, so 2016, 2017, uh, you know, 2016 was a good year to buy, but I only bought one property that year. 2017, things really were starting to heat up and uh, it's kind of just gotten crazier and crazier since then, less and less uh, supply. Um, and, you know, uh, as prices have gone up, you know, okay, you need more down payment funds, but rents have gone up like crazy along with it. So I really don't think cash flow wise, things have changed a whole lot um, as long as you can still afford the down payments and, uh, and, and try and find some value added properties nonetheless. So, so give me an example of how rents have changed, you know, one bedroom or two bedroom a year and a half ago yeah. versus now. So like in, like in London, for example, the first duplex I ever bought, I paid 177000 for it. It was in Old East Village in London, Ontario, and everything I have is in London, Ontario. And uh uh it, it, at the time i was getting either 750 dollars plus all utilities so heat hydro and water for a two-bedroom unit small two-bedroom unit 750 that's 750 it. and then the other side was 950 and that was all inclusive and when i turned it over those that was what it, the, the, the property came with those tenants okay yeah so that's how you bought it okay yeah. obviously under but honestly not too too far under market value because when i turned it over i ended up getting i think 900 maybe 950 plus all utilities for the, for two, the bed? two bedroom and uh, I was pretty happy with that um, because I thought, yeah, that's like kind of like more like 1050, you know, if they were all inclusive or something like that. And nowadays, like a two bedroom all day, $1,400, like uh, generally not even a question as if the bedrooms are reasonable size and they're not just closets. Yeah. And so no great condition is required to kind of be like entirely outdated or does it um, need to be refreshed? Re- refreshed for sure. So like paint and flooring need to be done. And like it has to have a kitchen and bath. It has to have a half decent kitchen bathrooms people aren't too too picky about like you know it can have old tile as long as you got a half decent it's not like a you know an old like a really shitty vanity or something like that like generally updated um feeling clean that kind of thing yeah not nothing too crazy okay. i tend to add a you do nice you seem to do nice stuff right yeah. everything looks pretty fresh fresh and crisp you, yeah you do some of the work yourself too right uh, no i mean no? i did on the first two properties but honestly since then i i've complete i've i've like 90 percent walked away and i would say for the last year or so i've like 99 percent walked away so like i'll still occasionally like if a tenant messages me i'll run over to the property and like press and like check the smoke alarm for them or because i live like two minutes away or five minutes away from all my properties and 
I don't have a day job, so whatever. I'll swing over and take a look, save myself fifty bucks, but like you know, for a service call. Yeah, but I'm not doing renovations. So you're close to all of, all of your properties. Yes. Yeah, I'm like a, I'm two to five minutes from every property. That's pretty. That's a very opposite feeling to what I have. <laughs> I'm so far from all of them. It makes a huge difference. Like I can, you know, it, hey, there's garbage out. Well, you know, I could I can message a guy to go swing by and do it, but it's like I, it literally it'll take me two minutes. So I'll. On my way out to go for lunch or something, I'll drop by the property, clean it up or whatever, right? Like, like a lot of these little things I'll still do um, just because it's not even worth me coordinating it. Um, I'd rather just I'd rather just swing by and do it. But this is not like this takes up maybe an hour of my an hour or two of my life per week. Like, it, and that's like, what's the problem with that, right? Like, that's actually just something to keep you busy. Yeah, yeah. And, and honestly, I was finding if I didn't physically move throughout my day, I didn't feel productive. There was something I learned. Like, I would sit around all day you know, recording podcasts or like doing or like doing uh, doing computer work, spreadsheets, looking for deals, whatever. And I would just at the end of the day, I'd be like, well, I don't know. I felt, felt like I didn't even do anything. But as soon as I left the house, drove around, m- used my hands a little bit, I was like, this was a good day. I feel productive. Yeah. So mentally, like that was actually a huge shift for me. So I try to actually yeah. keep moving like that, you know? Yeah. How was the transition from work working a day job and then doing real estate on the side to not working a day job and still real estate sort of on the side. <laughs> yes. Yes. So like the first thing was I, I was sitting at my, uh, so I got laid off and that was like, you know, a mental shift for me because I, I wasn't, I was like pumped to quit. Right. This was like, I was all about the financial independence early on. I was looking for like a 4% safe withdrawal rate. I was going to do the index fund approach and, yeah. and then real estate worked for me. And then I was like, okay, so I was into the financial independence thing for a long time. I was kind of pumped to quit the job, right? And then, of course, the decision was made for me, which was kind of a... I was like, well, I was kind of looking forward to doing that. Even though math-wise, it made far more sense, you know, for me to get laid off. Um, it was... A, yeah, it was just something I had to, like, adjust for a couple of days. And then, you know, I'm sitting at home and my phone rings and I'm able to just answer the phone. And that was like... A com- that was like... A, a com- like, it blew my mind because I'm so used to sitting at my desk job phone rings and i'm like oh like i gotta try and call them back or i gotta go run outside right. you know not disturb my coworkers and whatever so like being able to just send texts and call whatever you want whenever you want like while you're out for lunch while you're doing whatever like i don't know it was a that was awesome for me um and so managing the properties has become far easier not having the day job of course and then you know when i hook up with an off-market you know seller or something like that Hey, I can just meet up with you in ten minutes or an hour. How about that? Like, I, yeah. there's no my my schedule is so flexible now that like I can just jump around whenever I want. So you're, you're really dominating your area because of your presence there. You're yeah, there physically. Yeah, <laughs> everything's there around you. So so the word you can plant that word with your tenants even to to probably help you find deals. Tenants and like if yeah. you're if you're doing landlord references, like I always use that opportunity to ask them. You know, if hey, they're like, selling hey, here. You happen to, <laughs> by the way, like you happen to own a property in the same neighborhood as me or in the same city as me. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm calling you for reference for the tenant that's applying my unit, but any chance you're looking to sell, right? I'm always, I'm, I'm in touch with these people. I keep their phone number. I try and provide value to them because, you know, why is someone going to hang on to your phone number unless you've provided some kind of value to them, right? So oftentimes for most of these people, it's contractors. Like, oh, like, are you looking for contractors? Everyone is. So, you know, I, that's a way for me to kind of keep them on the phone. They'll want to hang on to my number. We stay in touch a little bit more. Oh, so that's, you just tell them you have contractors. I just say, hey, look, if you need references for contractors or anything like that, that's like just like a nice little, like it's a tip, I guess. It works well for me and it's it's a good way to kind of get an in with someone. So it's not just like, hey, I'm Kellen. 
you know, do you want to hang on to my, do you want to hang on to my number? And they're like, I don't know who you are. Like, <laughs> you know, so it's like, just that was one way I thought I could provide value to them. Of course, sometimes it's just, you know, Hey, how are you structuring your financing? How are you, whatever, like just, yeah. Like and then just I can start helping conversation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Th- that's, that's actually really, uh, really smart to so just add value back to people and then they give to. it back. Right. Why else would they, why else, how else do you stay top, top of mind? Right. Like if, if someone's like, I have a deal, who should I call? Well, it's someone that you've been in touch with and it's someone that you understand is competent. Um, so yeah, showing that you're competent, staying in touch with them however you can. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. And for anyone watching, I'm looking for a deal. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good way to stay top of mind. You know, I don't, I don't really advertise that on the podcast much yeah. and I probably, uh, I probably should. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, very specific things too. Like for me, it's like, look, I'm looking sp- mostly in Old East Village and Soho in London, Ontario. Those are like my neighborhoods that I love. To- mostly Old East Village, but Soho is now like one that I'm really starting to focus on. Um, yeah, Soho is nice. I actually had a property there that yeah. I sold. I bought it for 105. Wow. Renovated like 60 grand into it, sold it for 212. Nice. And I think that the people who bought that from uh, my former business partner and I, I think they I think they paid like almost 300. And now wow. I bet you that house is probably oh, yeah. over 300. Yeah, like I mean I saw even like a couple of years ago, I saw like fire properties that like were half burnt down selling for like 200. It was like yeah, it's just the base now. Like London's average sale price is I don't know what it's at, like five over five hundred. Is it over I'm, five? I'm pretty sure it just poked over five hundred. It's getting kind of ridiculous. There's a weird threshold in London though where you get more value for your money if you actually start getting over seven hundred. Interesting. Yeah, because you'll get a lot more square footage. Oh, I especially see. on the single families. For for the multifamilies, I don't think that that's the case. I think that right. well, it is in a way because most would be kind of starter investors who might come in from out of town like the toronto investors that'll buy in london they don't want the stuff that's 700 plus either they want to grab you know a little duplex for 500 or 400 i I think i even i sort of misunderstood because when you said more value over 700 i started thinking like not a lot of people are in that range like not a lot of people want to spend 700 more for what you're spending exactly all of a sudden you can buy an 800 like 800,000 and it's way better than a 700,000 right like yeah, I had my friend Carlo on here. He was just explaining. I think he bought his house for like 800 grand yeah. and it's like 3,600 square feet. Wow. Something ridiculous. There's just yeah. an affordability bump. Like, like people only make so much of their day job. They can only qualify for so much, right? Yeah. So that, I think that that's why we're seeing so many more renters in London is they just can't afford. Absolutely. They can't afford what, what they're currently, uh, you know, getting as an option for for purchasing yeah. so that then they're shifting into the rental pool well like i got into this for cash flow that was my i'm gonna build up x amount of cash flow and then i'm gonna quit my day job and and you know but now honestly i couldn't i couldn't have imagined what was going to happen with the appreciation like when when you have like my portfolios can very conservatively like six and a half million or something right now although i need to come it's been like six months wow, since I man. Even looked at it. you've done a lot <laughs> you've <laughs> gone it. fast <laughs> Um, so like, and because everything I have is solely owned when, you know, when we see 10% appreciation, like it's crazy what it does to your net worth 10 and we've seen 20% like year over year for, for, for a little while now it's getting, it's getting completely absurd. You're saying we've seen 10% for, for a while or oh, like way more, like, like we were seeing, I think we were seeing like 20% like plus in In the past year, in the, in the past year and maybe, and, and pretty significant in the years before, um, it was crazy. Like not at all. Like that was always cherry on the cake, right? right. Hey, if I get some appreciation, great. But like, it's been, it's been insane. Um, and of course, because of that, you know, it's really helped my momentum because now that I've you know, hooked up with the local credit union, I'm able to refinance 
because you know it's important for people to know when you're you know your first 10 properties you know great maybe maybe 10 properties you can go with banks like scotia but once you quit your day job they're not going to let you refinance anymore they'll let you renew which is cool as long as you're you know hey i want to pay the mortgage now whatever but if you want to refinance out anything other than your mortgage pay down if you want to refinance out new value like appreciation they're not going to let you. Um, well, they won't even let you access your paydown unless you already had it set up that way with the line of credit attached. With the step mortgage yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, so Scotiabank has the step. Right. And, uh, so many other lenders have similar. Yeah. Yeah. But now, you know, now that I can bring it over to local credit unions, I can refinance out that, that capital only up to 75% loan to value. But with the appreciation we've had, there's a lot of, there's a lot of equity built in now that I can take and continue buying um, without with and for me without having to bring on partners well now you might need to go private money for some of that if, if you've got a big gap right you might have some of your buildings might only be at like 60 percent loan to value or 50 percent loan to value yeah. now there's a, a whole bunch of money that you're not really able to access the way you maybe would want to unless you just go for a full refi with say meridian or what would be the one libro is another one that libro is the one i've been working with and like so far so good like i can refinance up to 75 percent loan to value pull it out as cash and, and buy out the next buy the next property i actually haven't fully completed the refi yet so i don't know if it's going to be cash but worst case scenario it's with them ready to buy and i mean i'm not buying a hot tub with it anyway like it's for prop it's for real estate so and i don't think they should care as long as the numbers work for you but um they're going to restrict you to 25 year amortization rather yes. than 30 right that's yes. the that's the annoying thing for cash flow purposes yes you're not going to get it this much i've just like i've had the debate in my head about you know if i brought on a partner then i could get 30 year am you know a little bit lower rate um 20 down all that's great but if i do it with my on my own yeah i don't get as favorable terms but i get to keep 100 percent of the cash oh, flow no. and appreciation I, i'm with you that. there so i don't currently have any partners oh, in anything i i do uh, i have I, I partnered with with a friend of mine and we did a whole bunch of flips in a company together right. but in terms of personal ownership i've gotten away from that and i just right. want to i want to stick towards yeah uh, just what is your solely. thought process toward that because i know a lot of people are really learning, leaning toward joint ventures and honestly it's the, it's the right call for a lot of people, but not the right call for everyone. And it's something I've been trying to get the conversation going a little more. I've started to see a little more on social media now. People are talking about it's kind of the struggles with joint ventures. Yeah. And I'm glad to see people being a little more realistic about it because it seemed like the way people go, the way things go. So, so my thought is exactly what you say. If you look at your, your overall return when you don't split, so what if you pay a higher interest rate? If you yes. actually work out those numbers as to what you're, you're making. So say your property goes up Say your, your, your annual return after factoring, factoring appreciation, cash flow, and mortgage pay down is 30% yeah. on your original investment. If you are only getting half of that, then it's only 15%, yeah. right? So say you pay you know, a few percent higher on your interest rate, your cash flow is less. Maybe your return is only 25%, but you're keeping all of it. So yeah. technically, you're making an extra 10% by not having a partner. I'm not saying partners are bad. I think that there's a time and a place. For me, it's more short-term deals. I think partners could be... Uh, an advantage or a big deal, really big deals where yes. there's, there's so much lift, but say somebody who is a really cash, uh, cash rich investor yeah. who, who's got money and then you don't need to have that burn. See, my, my big concern with large multis is the burn rate as you try and turn over all the tenants and, yes. and just how much you're paying now because people are paying like two caps for stuff in Hamilton. Right. Oh, I mean, wow. how, do you, how do you do that? <laughs> How do you do that and sleep at night? Like, yeah. I mean, that's, that's just if you it, and there is a downside to, you know, say you want to buy a multi-unit apartment building, like a, like a large apartment building. And you, you, that's a lot of capital, right? Not a lot of people have that money sitting around. So you might need to bring in a partner for that. Or if you're borrowing that money, I can see the downside of 
you know, borrowing a million bucks at like 10%, like that's, that's crazy, right? Like you, it adds that's, up, that's, right? Yeah. That if it takes you a year, crazy. if it takes you a year and you borrowed a million at 10%, you're, you're a hundred thousand dollars in burn. If it yeah. took you a year to do that reno. And that's where all of a sudden you build that into your numbers and the deal that would work doesn't work. Yes. So it really depends on the deal, depends on your capital situation, depends on your goals, the length of the project. There's so many things to consider. And it seems like it's just everyone goes the one way. But I'm happy to see like more and more people a little bit talking about, you know, some of the some of the pros to doing it on your own as well. Right. And I think people who have listened to me from the beginning would probably know, like, it's not that I'm against JVs, but I've definitely been outspoken that like, don't be in a rush to give away your equity. Analyze what you're getting out of a JV. Like, are you getting knowledge, encouragement? There's more than just the money. There's more than just the qualification. If you're working with somebody that knows way more than you and you think that's an avenue into to growing, then do it. Yes. I mean, for me, I can, I can definitely say working with, with um, my friend who, who we did all those flips together, we pushed each other. Right. And, and I know like Dylan and Robbie Clark, I don't know if you know Dylan, Dylan Suter. Uh, he's been on, on the podcast. Robbie's been on. And uh, those guys bought $60 million of real estate in one year. And you know, they pushed each other. And, and so complementary skill sets can really be something like two... Yeah. Two working partners. Uh, I've seen that work well, like yeah. a JV where you have two working partners but have complementary skill sets. Yes, I like that. Yeah, the, the money partner thing again could it's case by case. I totally think like if I want to go buy a two three million dollar building, I would absolutely be be open to a money partner because yeah. that means now I've got somebody who could potentially, if they're sitting on quite a bit, buy us a year or two years to transition that building mm-hmm. into something that can make insane cash flow yeah but it, you got to be able to be you know to get over that hurdle of the first two years and or you're the not first worried year. about paying 10 percent of yeah. your money for two years or something like well, that I like, to, <laughs> I like to sleep and you strike me as a type of guy who, who wouldn't like that scenario no i like my sleep too <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of where I'm like at you it. don't want it to be something that holds you back it, like if you're if you're the person the kind of person who doesn't have you know the, the ability to qualify for financing you're trying to buy your first you, you have you bought, bought a couple you can't really buy anymore you don't have the day job income yeah of course like bringing on a partner might make a lot of sense in that case or you just simply don't have the capital you're happy with the properties you own they cash flow well you don't want to sell them to buy the next ones there are plenty of situations in which it makes sense um for sure so my wife just sold her condo and there's a good there's a good bit of cash that she got out of that i'm thinking about selling one of my properties a friend of mine who's a realtor already basically said hey if if you want to sell that one this is what i'll get you for it be easy um yeah so you know a property i bought for for 205 i think and he's talking about 675 wow so i mean of course i put 200 grand into it so it's not all upside great but but that's what london has done and to me i look at the value yeah near western yeah um this one's actually the furthest from western of all of mine Um, but uh just i see the value in having say five hundred thousand dollars in cash to just flip into properties uh you know when you could do a burr where you don't borrow on the front end and then you go back and refinance i think um, just the savings again you eliminate the burn and now you can focus on your renos get them done and then go back refi and just reuse that money so yeah and when you end up with that kind of like when you got 500 grand sitting in the bank now you got to decide am i going to use that toward a down payment on a, on a large building or am i going to use it toward buying a, a like a smaller multifamily cash and then and then burring it or whatever you want to do i like right? the recycle i'm not a fan of just leaving the money sit because yeah. then what do i do oh, then yeah. i just get impatient i'm like well now i can't buy anything i know <laughs> And that's the challenge. Like I've been thinking more about larger apartment buildings recently, but you don't do as many of those deals as quickly, right? Like if I buy a, you know, a 20 unit apartment building, that might be the only deal I do that year, or it might be like one of two deals I do that year. So like, I don't maybe feel like I'm doing as much, but it's also a larger building. So I don't have to do as many. How much would you buy one for? Like what, what would be your price point? Like, I mean, like 
probably between 120 and 150 a unit or something like that uh like a 10 unit uh like i was hoping for i was hoping for like ideally something closer like 18 12 to 18 units like yeah okay so you're talking getting into the two million dollar price range oh yeah yeah yeah, like, how like, would you do that now? Because you'd need 25% down at least, yes. but reasonably banks are going to cut you back because of cash flow. So you might yes. not even get 75% loan to value. Exactly. It's so only, that's only a theory. 75% is a best case scenario. Yeah. It often doesn't work out that way. So, the, so a lot of credit unions are looking for a DCR of 1.2. You can pause and play this later if you want. I'm just going to ramble through it, but you'll follow. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So debt coverage ratio, uh, guys, if you, if you don't have my spreadsheet, go grab it. It's on my website, andrew-heinz.com. You can download my spreadsheet. It has that on it. Yeah. So you take your NOI and you divide, you divide into it or you divide it by your uh, total mortgage payments for the year. Um, and you're going to get your one point, you're going to get, you got to hopefully get at least a 1.2 DCR or higher. And that's what, that's what the credit union I'm working with is looking for. And so as long as it meets that they'll generally, and the building's in good shape, they'll be okay with 25% down. If it doesn't meet that, they might want a larger down payment. And that's kind of the way it works, but you might be able to register a second position, you know, uh, mortgage after that. So it kind of helps you a little bit out of pocket. Um, gray areas, depending on whether the lender's okay with second positions. So of course the annual review. So when they do the annual review and they see the second mortgage there, they might say, get that out of there. That's you're in default. (laughs) Exactly. So So, uh, you never know. They might not like you uh, if you do that, but if you needed to do it in the short term, I mean, I I know of people who have done it. Yeah. Or, or maybe you're lucky enough to get prom note, like promissory note money and it's just not secured in anything, or you borrow from, you know, friends and families, lines of credit, whatever you got to do to, you know, not be out of pocket too much in the short term. Um, but generally, yeah, that, that's, that's the goal is to buy something like that 25% down. Um, and the capital, you, I imagine you were alluding to like the capital. So in, the, in my situation, I have a couple of good properties that have a, a ton of equity left in them. So you would just refinance them if yeah. you could. Yeah. So like, um, I bought a property in 2017, uh, sixplex in old East and, uh, it was, uh, 365 and it was I paid 365 grand for it, which was a really great deal at the time, but it was, it was a proper crack house and like it had you know a lot of really really significant issues a ton of deferred maintenance it's taken up until now to finish uh really to the point where i want it to be because i had to wait for some turnover and you know didn't want to outlay uh, all the renovation costs all at once and so um now it's at the point where i can do a solid refi and i'm going to be able to pull out quite a bit of capital from that at this point because it's worth way more than 365 and then the first duplex i ever bought i've never refinanced it i'm going to be at the point where i can refinance it between those two, I'll have, I'll have quite a bit of capital ready for a down payment on an apartment building. That's kind of my goal. And like, it'd be, I, I don't know, something about me would be really pumped to be able to buy an apartment building on my own. Um, that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so to just be the key is, and, and the bank will kind of guide you towards a point where, where, where you can afford it from a cash flow standpoint. And yes. I know you have excess cash flow in other properties. So even if you had to take a step back in terms of your, your net portfolio cash flow for yes. a while, exactly to slowly build it up i know you're living way under what you currently earn anyway (laughs) so for you you're in the kind of like the perfect position to do that it's lined up well um like for example this this six bucks i'm talking about refinancing it cash flows over three grand a month right now after budgeting like five hundred dollars a month five six hundred dollars a month for vacancy and maintenance total so like good cash flow but when I refi it, I'm going to, I'm going to bring it down about two, it's going to come down to about one grand a month in cash flow, which is still good, which is great, but it drops my cash flow two grand a month just on that one property. Um, but Hey, it still works out well for me. It's still cash flowing. I can access, you know, and, it, and my other properties are cash flowing really well too. So 
it's fine. Um, this is a great scenario to, to find yourself in. And we're going to get into some of the specifics of managing in your area. But I want to talk about a deal. Like, let's, let's go through a deal you've done lately. Yeah. Um, so I guess not the one you've just purchased, but maybe the one right before that. Yeah. So there was one on, um, there was one in Soho I bought in London, in, in, yeah, in London as, as always. And uh, it was on the MLS. Uh, one of the few deals in the last while that I bought on the MLS. Um, I think it was basically 2019. Um, yeah. Somewhere in 2019. So like late, later 2019? Early 2019. Okay. Um, so I paid 148 for it. Okay. Um, and which was absurd. It, they were, I think, I forget what they were asking on the MLS. They're asking quite a bit more. Um, but it, it, for some reason, no one is paying attention to this property. It was fully tenanted. And is this every, a duplex? It was a triplex. Triplex. Okay. Um, all, it was a, all main floor units, um, which I love because there's no one above or below you. Everyone's just beside you. Separate hydrometers. It just looked like trash from the outside. And uh, it was just a long building um, where everything's on the main floor. And um, so, yeah, all the units were tenanted. No one, of course, wanted to take on this building. The, te- the sellers weren't willing to provide it vacant on closing. I was like, you know what? It doesn't even matter. If this is something that takes me two years, it'll still be a great deal. So um, I went in. Yeah, I went in at 148. They accepted. I don't remember how the negotiation went, to be honest. But um, yeah, I ended up getting it for 148. Um, I ended up putting in, geez, I don't even know exactly, but probably somewhere around 100 grand or something like that. I think it might have been less, but somewhere around 100 grand. Um, a couple of the units I didn't have to gut luckily, but I did have to, you know, fish a lot of electrical and patch some walls and things. Right. Yeah. Um, but they did all get new Ikea kitchens in it, which was like, you know, the kitchens aren't too expensive because they're all pretty small units. So maybe like, uh, 1200 bucks a a kitchen for the material plus, you know, handyman to install. And, you know, anyway, all the units look really great when they're done. All of them have in-suite laundry. They all pay their own separate hydro. I made one of them. I made, so I have two one beds and a two bed unit. The two bed unit is like really small it's basically like it really probably should have been a one bedroom unit so i put in maybe 100 or so and uh it ended up reappraising at um 375 but it's worth way more now because you know it's been a little bit of time it's probably more like 425 450 at this but point did you refi it based on 375 I refied it yeah. Based, yeah based on 375 or three 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 eighty five. it might have been it's been a little bit now <laughs> i'm putting you on the spot so it's okay no worries yeah 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 that's uh, a lot of the properties i bought recently i haven't i haven't refied yet so um they wouldn't really be a good case study right so and that would have been 80 percent loan to value back then right 80 yeah, percent. Yeah. yeah so you would have been getting around three hundred thousand out of that does that sound right uh that sounds a little high uh um i know i got all my money back plus i think 80 grand or somewhere around there okay well your purchasing improvements were were 248 and if you refied and got 300, then you would have been pulling out 52,000. All my money plus 50? Yeah. All yeah. your money plus 50. It was all my money plus, I think it was all my money plus uh, something like, I, I obviously didn't get the rent numbers quite right. I think it was plus 80 when, when everything was said and done. Okay. So then your appraisal was probably around 400, 425 or something like that at the time. Or, or maybe I think I was, or maybe it was more like an 80,000 reno and not 100, but yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, just playing around with these numbers. I, I, uh, I did yeah. this to everybody. I put you on the spot. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, anyway, so let's just, uh, let's just assume you're somewhere in there around the 300, 320. I'll just put 320 as a mortgage here. Right. Um, what was your rent on that once you were all done? So, um, front unit rented for a thousand, another unit rented for a thousand, and then another one rented for 1200. Um, these are all under market rent, uh, again, 
because rents have gone up a lot since then. But yeah, now they are. Right? Yeah. So probably 3200 um, So 3200 on the house. They all then... pay their own hydro. Okay. Taxes, what do you got there roughly? It's like... super low. Like probably two grand a month or two grand a two year. Two grand like, a year. Oh, might man, be that's less, great. honestly. Like it, Soho's got cheap. An yeah. insurance there, what would that be? Like 1700 1500 My insurance, I have an umbrella policy. So a lot of my stuff, it's probably more like um, 12, 11, 1200 or something like that. That's good. I, I mean, I've just been hit with a lot of really bad renewals. Right? Like, yeah. Um, I had some that are under, like at some, for a while there, I had some under a thousand bucks. Like that's, that's yeah. crazy. I have had that, but not right. lately. Not lately. They're going up. Okay. What do you, what do you pay on average for utilities there? It's just water and, uh, just water and, and heat. It's just gas. a forced air gas furnace. So I don't know, maybe 120 bucks, 150 bucks at most All in? Uh, for, for, uh, gas and then water probably pretty similar. Maybe okay, say, so 300 a month. Yeah. Say 300 a month, something like so, that. So about 3,600 a year then. And then you've got, uh, Lawn cutting snow removal? Yeah, yeah. Grass is probably like, I don't know, what, what is that? Like 30 bucks a month or that sound right? Well, if that's what you're paying, I want your landscaper. He comes twice a month. No, maybe it's 30 bucks a cut. Probably. Maybe it's like, I think it's like $350 a year, maybe 400 a year or something okay, like you that. You got to hook me up with your landscaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's the kind of guy who he'll cut, he'll cut it. He says he'll come two, three times a month. It's always twice a month. And, uh, you know, sometimes you got to send him a message. You're like, Hey man, you haven't cut the grass. In so a while. we'll call that one 400, <laughs> but you pay, you pay uh, snow removal as well there, right? Uh, uh, that one, actually the tenants are happy to take care of it because it's a fairly small driveway. Oh, okay. Um, so some of my properties, I do snow removal. Some of them, the t- like the tenants are happy to split the to split the okay. responsibility. All right. So at a three, tw- uh, sorry, at a four hundred thousand dollar value, if we called it that, you're a seven point two percent cap rate, and you'd be a thousand dollars a month in cash flow at a three point two five percent interest rate. I don't know exactly yeah. what you got. Like what what interest it would rate have you been? Were? It probably would have been uh, high twos or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So two point seven five. So you would have been in the yeah, just a just a hair over a thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, Does that sounds about about right? Yeah, and I mean, since then, of course, the value's gone up. The rents are the rents now would be uh, at least. I actually I re-rented one of them recently for I think eleven fifty instead of a thousand. The other one's the same tenant still there, and the other one. So still, it just keeps getting yeah. better. Yeah. So yeah. I like to analyze them at the time. Snapshot yes. at the time you did the deal, uh, yes. and then of course time makes it better and better. So the way this yeah. one breaks down at those those rates, so a thirty year amortization. Um, so if we figure three percent appreciation, we know we know right. you've done better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's twelve grand on appreciation. The pay down on the mortgage is about seventy five hundred a year, and right. uh, and then you've got um, you've got your cash flow, which is thirteen thousand a year. Right. So uh, all that combined is thirty two thousand six hundred a year right. in return. And when we break that down against your your investment is nothing. So yeah. so you have an infinite return. But even if you were to just buy that as an end product at, at the, right. the pre- appraisal you've got, you would have been at a 37% or so return right. on investment with a that's full crazy. down payment. Yeah. So it's that sounds like a great deal, man. Like It, I mean, it turned out to be a really good one. And there, there's other people I know that walked through it and that decided against it. So I don't know. It, it feels like... Time and time again, you know, as things progress over the years, people go, "Oh, I can't believe you got that great of a deal." The market must not have been as hot. And then another year goes by, and I'm buying currently at Same values thing, yeah. that people go. That, yeah, like I think, I think for MLS, it's about recognizing opportunities that people just don't recognize. And then for off market, of course, it's about yeah. getting under market value. And I'll admittedly uh, say that that I've I've walked through properties with Carmen, my mother in law, that I look at it, it just like gives me a headache yeah. looking at all the the janky floors yeah. and staircases and i'm like oh i'd want to rip that out and replace it and i want to rip that and as soon as you start thinking about that in some of the older properties the the, the numbers just get too crazy yeah uh, so i've had to be very humble <laughs> yeah. acknowledging some of her results because i just didn't 
uh, I didn't see it. You have to. I, I'm reading Ego is the Enemy right now, Ryan, Ryan Holiday, and like all, it's so much about recognizing that there's like you're you're not the shit, right? Like there's there's so many out, people out there that know more than we do about uh, various topics, and like the only way to learn from them is to un- is to you know is to secede your your ego and like put it to the side and go look i want to learn like right. you know like the growth that any of us would have had all in the early stages especially is is come just came from being a sponge and the less and less you become a sponge and become the person who thinks they know it all the less you're going to learn yeah. and the less you'll progress so i think it's super important to understand there's there's like we all should be learning from from these people who who know more than us right? oh yeah soak <laughs> it up for sure yeah yeah Hey guys, I just want to take a quick break from the podcast and give a shout out to a couple of local businesses that I frequently use. This is not a paid promotion. These are just two businesses that I've recently used that are being affected by this lockdown. And I think they're fantastic. And I want to see small businesses survive and thrive despite all the obstacles that are being put in their way right now. First, I want to give a shout out to New York, New York Men's Grooming Salon here in Burlington, Ontario. Uh, I always go to Sergio every single month. I would travel and commute to, to go see this guy. I've been to so many other people before Sergio, and he's the one person that uh, I know will always do a good job. That's my experience. Can't say you'd have the exact same experience, but I certainly would expect so. I love that place. I love the culture there. The, they have a great atmosphere, even to just pop in and have an espresso or have a beer. Really, really unique experience. And of course, they are still open for business despite the restrictions right now. The other one I want to give a shout out to is Dr. Mike White at the Momentum Health Clinic in Hamilton. Uh, Dr. Mike's a chiropractor. I hurt my back so badly last week that I couldn't even turn. And I went to Dr. Mike uh, three days straight and now I feel 100% better, which is pretty crazy. I've had so many of these silly, ridiculous injuries over the years working out, mostly from back exercises, but also from other things. Anytime I've had a problem, I go to Dr. Mike and somehow he finds a way to make it better. With that being said, I know it's a touchy thing with the medical service so please always check with your medical health provider before engaging in any form of treatment i cannot guarantee the results that you would get with dr mike but i certainly think he's worth considering when you're picking your next chiropractor so those are two i just wanted to support guys these are not paid promotions i just wanted to uh, do my part to help our local businesses thrive please do your part in your community to help your local businesses they really are a big part of our culture let's get back to the episode all right so actually on that note i want to get in get into this a little bit more of times where you've seen something that that changed things for you changed the way you looked at things Mm because i can say from my perspective it's always like conversations like this yeah where i talk to a person okay how are you doing that okay i'm going to implement that on in my business um carlo who's been on here twice uh is a big one for me like everything to do with managing student rentals he and i talk a fair bit of course he he gives me more than i give him on that front (laughs) on the construction (laughs) side i would give him more so it worked out really well uh, but with Carmen, like, you know, just trying to wrap my head around how she thinks how, so big, like she's got, you know, probably 30 different developments going on right now. Wow. And, yeah. That, you I know, can't owns, even, yeah, I know. It's yeah. like, how do you fathom? <laughs> and I, I drove with her to, to the site because I'm building the 15 towns for uh, for her development. And uh, I drove with her in four hours in the car. She was on the phone the entire time. Wow. And I'm like, my head hurts <laughs> from, from the, the pace of thought and the number of different things you're doing. She's got stuff in Florida, all across Ontario. And uh, everything's got something going on, a refi or we're doing this. Um, 
but man, I learned a lot about what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And yeah. you got, you, you kind of have to identify yourself and, and what's important to you. And I think like, I, I think a lot of it is like, how does someone manage 30 renos or 30 projects at the same time? Like you, you delegate, right? You find great people that know what they're doing. And like, it's not about how you do it, but who you can get to do it. Right. And, and then managing those people. And it starts to become a little more understandable how these things are happening. Right. So you're delegating quite a bit as far as the renos go. Obviously, you're not doing it yourself. Do you have more delegation on the admin side or are you just handling that Honestly, all yourself? In some ways, I love outsourcing. And then in other ways, I'm a bit of a control freak. So um, there's quite a bit I'm still doing myself. Um, but I've gotten it. I've gotten systems in place so that it doesn't take a lot of my time. So I'm actually still doing. Um, Still doing all of my, I'm managing all my properties myself. Um, I'm te- technically the GC on my projects when I have a renovation on the go. So you just hire the individual trades. I'm still calling the plumber, the electrician, and, and do you have like a handyman that'll do yeah. the hanging drywall? Exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. I've got a couple of people like that. I want to get more. Those are the type you just want to like build oh. as many as you can. And and like they're not perfect. And you know the person I work with right now is not perfect, but um, luckily he's there for me 90% of the time I need him. So. Um, and like you just got it when you find a good contractor you need to do everything you can to keep them as busy as you can and that's hard for a lot of people because that means they need to have more projects on the go so in some ways you can see how having more projects might actually make things a little easier it you can does, keep actually. the good people around right my, my favorite model is just have stuff have full-time employees and just have stuff always right. i mean you can always lay off employees if you need if something goes wrong and you you know you don't have projects layoffs right. are layoffs are a normal part of the business right uh, but that was my most productive, most most profitable was when I had guys working on my own projects full time. Right. And yeah, uh, that I want to get back to. I, I want I want to get right back to that point. It's just for me, as as we've talked about many times is is the London market. It just it's harder to make it work. Mm-hmm. And I heard you on on Mark's uh, show the other oh, day. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about finding deals off market, which is a big part of it. Um, so for those who haven't followed that, um, could you maybe give us a little bit of an insight as to how you're finding deals? Yeah. Um, how, so in the last two years, I think you bought two, two properties or uh, three, three. Two, uh, or sorry. Uh, well, coming up on the fourth, I guess. So Four. three, okay. three sixplexes and a duplex, um, coming, closing on my third. Okay. Sixplex. And most of those were off market, right? Except for um, the one. Um, off, off, off and on. And actually all four were off market. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, I think from the, from an outsider perspective, you're in you're in the area, you're dominating that area. Um, your neighbors know you probably that yeah. you want to buy properties, that you own properties in the area, yeah. and then of course the landlords in the area know yes. you. That helps. Yeah. Is yeah. what else are you doing to to generate those uh, those um, leads? Like, I'm anytime I see a phone number anywhere for an owner in my neighborhoods, I'm call, I'm going to try and call them, especially if they have like units under rented or something like that, like. Anyone who's out of touch with what's going on in the market, like they're going to be generally, you're, you know, you're going to get your best deals from them. There's some information asymmetry. But as much as possible, if, there, if I see people walking around in my neighborhood that are standing outside of their house, they look like a homeowner, I'm going to try and talk to them. I'm going to ask them, do you know anyone around here that might be looking to sell? I'm going for walks around my neighborhood with the dog, you know, always trying to... So you're just chatting people up. Hey, do you know anyone looking to sell? Anytime I can. And it's, it's not like... I mean, it's not like something I need to be super intentional about all the time, but like I'm, I'm in touch with people on a daily basis, um, in, uh, especially in old East village. Um, but yeah, contractors, like I said, I forget if we were, we were talking uh, off camera, I think about this, but, um, or maybe we already talked about, about it. adding the value. Uh, no, about when I call, when I have a, yeah, when I call a tenant reference, um, did I talk about that on camera? Yeah, I think you were mentioning that on camera. I know we did, we did speak about it. Yeah, so, yeah. The, so getting, giving back to them, adding value to them and yes, getting them yes. right back. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, like being in touch with all the contractors, anyone who's working on these types of properties, like who is going to be in a property that you want to buy? So like you want to buy stuff that's undervalued, that's undermanaged or mismanaged. So like you want to buy p- properties where like the pest control guy is going in all the time or your junk removal guy is going on in these properties all the time. Like, and then you want to stay at, it's not just about talking to these people. I think that's where a lot of people stop. And that's kind of the problem is they don't end up maintaining a relationship with the people they want the leads from. They just toss out a feeler so and they're you like, put, like something together like a touch base uh that you know list i don't and i probably should i think i need like a cms to, like to really manage something like this and like a lot of the people that i know that are quite successful have something like that and i just use my phone's contacts at this point and like i do have like some google docs and i write down some phone numbers and details on people but um yeah like I don't know. It just comes to my head because I'm thinking about it a lot. So I'm like, I haven't talked to that person in a while and I shoot them a message. Like, I really do try and stay in touch with these people, provide the value, stay top of mind. And they're more likely to, you know, be like, hey, I just drove by a for sale by owner sign. Uh, here's, here's a picture of the place and the phone number. Um, and then otherwise, you know, uh, you, do you go door knocking though? I, I've done a little bit of it, but I haven't done a ton of it. Uh, I've done, I've probably done it like half a dozen times or something like that i did it on my youtube channel for like i did a video on how to find off-market deals and i went door knocking with a microphone on and i'd knock on the door and i'd be like hey and just to demonstrate how simple it is right yeah hey i'm uh i'm walking around the neighborhood i'm really trying to find buy a property in the area um you know there's not a lot on the market right now but you know do you happen to know anyone in the area that might be looking to sell their property um and then usually they go oh that guy down the street and it's a for sale it's a, there's a for sale sign in front of it and you're like well you know I, i'm looking for stuff that you know owners in particular like people you might know in the area that might look like they might, they'd be you know interested in selling yeah. without realtor fees and and then uh you know there's a bit more of a face-to-face thing to it you know of course they're receiving a million of these flyers from wholesalers and stuff like that but they most of them just throw them out so when you can have some face time with these people you can talk to tenants because nine percent of the properties i'm buying all of my properties are multifamily. So when you knock on the door, it's a tenant answering. So you're not like, hey, owner, which would be great. But usually it's, yeah, it's usually a tenant. So you need to find a way to get through the tenant to the landlord. Yeah. Or through the property management company to the landlord. And didn't you say that you were offering like uh, kickbacks to the tenants? Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, whatever. Like, just give me the phone number to your landlord. If I end up closing on the property, I pay a thousand bucks. If it's a property manager, I'll often pay them more. Um, because why would they want to pass along like that's their job is to be the middleman between you and the landlord yeah, so they don't you want to give them something yeah they, they have to have a reason to like break that agreement right the whole point is the landlord doesn't want to hear about this stuff like they don't want to hear from the tenants right they, that's property managers there so so what would you offer a property manager so so you can offer them either um to take on their services um because that's a big thing for them like you know they don't want to just lose one of their clients right you're buying the property well am i going to manage it anymore or does that mean i'm going to lose a customer um, so you could say, look, I might be willing to take on, you know, your property for, you know, uh, a year or two or something like that. That doesn't fit your model agreement. though, right? It doesn't. So usually yeah. I just offer them a fee. Um, but I mention that because if that's a sticking point for them, I don't want them to say like, yeah, like, like to I keep can, them for a while. Yeah. If I, I can make something, hundreds yeah. of thousands or something on a property, like, of course I'm willing to pay them a fee or take them on as management or whatever it may be. And here's what I would do with that. How much do you stand to make in, in two years of management and work right. it back? Ask them, say, hey, you want this? Okay, so your average client, how long do they last? Is this one really good? Love that. Can't guarantee anything. Who knows? Something might change. If he's thinking about selling now, maybe he sells anyway. Yeah. Um, so what if we say a year's worth of fees? How about I just pay you that? A re-rent and a year worth of fees. Yeah. And I'm sure you Love could that. reason with them. Oh, yeah. I think it's all about asking the question back. Like, how much do you stand to make? Try and understand them a bit better. Yes, than sell you have them on to it. understand their incentives and yeah. what's going on in their head. 
And, and I've had property managers say, look, I've had, a, I've had four other people ask me about this, but you're the only one I'm talking to because you're the only one who's mentioned you'll, you'll offer a fee and you seem like a great guy. Like those two things are enough for them to, to want to talk to you versus someone who hired a, uh, a VA to make these calls for oh, them yeah, or whatever, yeah. right? Like, well, I think now you have to cut through the noise more than ever because these flyers just exploded. Now everybody does flyers. Yeah. Not that they don't work, but even in the last year and a bit, They've just gone insane. They're everywhere. So, well, like people were seeing it all on bigger pockets. People were having a lot of luck on there. There's a lot of people in the states doing a lot of wholesaling and stuff. That's why the effectiveness went from here down to here. Like they're not nearly as effective as they were. They work, but you have to you have to spend a lot more now than you used to. And you got to be a lot more consistent. Yeah. And that's, those are the things that are going to be a challenge. Now, the people who do it and have been doing it a long time still swear by it. Yeah. And like, even if, if I were doing that, like more than likely I would end up wanting to hire an acquisitions manager. And I'm, I'm the type who generally would want to do this kind of stuff myself. But I mean, if you're sending out 10,000 flyers a month, you're getting you so many phone calls. I don't want to answer my phone all the, like all day. Like, and I would have trouble, I would have trouble uh, trusting them to, to do a good job and close. Yeah. I would, ha- I mean, I would have to put them on commission to, and make sure that yeah. they were, they were good at it. Or maybe you just give them the responsibility of, look, this seems like it has a potential. Now you can get in touch with them, right? So like yeah. whatever, whatever filter you want them to have in place, they can take all the angry calls and anyone who is interested in selling, now you take the yeah. call or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like have them be the gatekeeper, you know, yeah. they take the angry calls. Whatever, and, however thick you want their filter to be. Um, yeah. Or how much responsibility you want them to take on. I don't like the angry calls. <laughs> I, I got to get over You've that. You've done some flyering, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had people threaten my life, yeah. It's a flyer. You sent me a piece of paper. <laughs> don't ever come on my property again. I didn't. Well, they're sick of it. Like they're yeah. getting four of these in their mailbox yeah. every day. Um, and they're all the same. I mean, everyone's just... Well, see, ready. now they're all the same. Yeah, so now it's like, how how do you cut through that noise and a lot of people are just trying to outspend that like like that's what a lot of people are trying to do which is one strategy hey hey there's no right or wrong i think there's effective and less effective or we move on to a different market like you start like flyering all these small towns that people aren't paying attention to or whatever i'm more keen on that yeah and i i've been you know pretty upfront with my audience that i don't i mean i don't love the numbers in london as i've said yeah i don't love the numbers around here in in burlington hamilton i i feel that people are paying too much but it doesn't mean it won't go up i know it will i know it will yeah um but i want cash flow and i don't compromise on that so so yeah i'm looking at other markets seeing as toronto's the center of that pond and where the ripples go what what markets are interesting you at this time i like north like wireton owen sound um sable beach area because we go up there a lot in the summer so you've been talking to john kepler at all or I've talked to John, uh, actually not, not in a while, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, you know, just I had him on the podcast. His numbers are insane up there, yeah. but I have a couple of people who are up in that area that I talk to pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, you know, nice. they're, they're kind of on the getting started stage and right. they're sending me deals. I'm like, okay, very cool. I see the numbers there and um, you know, it's, it's similar to how I was talking about Welland, you know, a year ago, how I thought that was a great opportunity and it still is. It's just, time passes and now the cat's out of the bag and now and now people are are really focused on those areas uh and it may be the case up north too so i know people are going up to sudbury they're going up to timmins you know it's spreading i I think the likelihood of me if i was jumping into london at this point and i'd never bought a property before i'd i'd be like this is this is awful like this is not you wouldn't be as keen no because i would look at the mls and go none of these make any sense and i would be like well now what do i do and and then i'd look at the wholesale deals that are getting sent out and i'd be like i don't want to pay twenty thousand dollars out of pocket for a property that maybe would cash flow but it needs a lot of work and like like nothing nothing would be exciting to me so i think it's super important to be really in touch with um with a neighborhood or get 
like, you know, get help from someone who does and, yeah. and you know. Well, the biggest challenge I would say I've had with that is I, I don't like driving. I've done it a lot. Yeah. Are, you know, London's already an hour and a half from me. Yeah. And so I've spent so much of my last 10 years driving back and forth a lot. So I don't want, I'm not in a rush to go even further. For sure. Oh, that <laughs> but, makes sense. But if I can create strategic partnerships where it just doesn't make sense for me to be there and start setting down roots. I mean, I'm, I'm very keen on, on those areas. I'm very keen on, on just knowing with this work from home movement, with, with more people yeah. being able to just come into the office once a week. Yeah. All these, these new markets are now in play. Yeah. And if they're in play and, and you can find a house that's less than the cost of replacement, replacement, uh, like you can't rebuild that house for that price. There is going to be a market for it. Now, I think you got you to gotta drill down into each micro area and talk to realtors and find out what the absorption is and how fast units turn over. But yeah, uh, I mean, that, that's kind of where my, my head's at. Um, not that I've felt like I'm in any rush, but <laughs> I, I, I do want to you know, start, start buying uh, properties more, more frequently. And I think that uh, right. keeping, keeping options open is a, is a big thing. Oh, yeah. I think like, some of the most successful investors I've seen that have been doing this for a while... They're happy to sit on the sidelines for a while. They've got a bunch of capital ready. And then when a really good opportunity comes up, they jump in. And like, that's one of those things that millennials don't want to hear is anything to do with patience, right? Yeah. And and like, I feel the same way because I'm always wanting to try and keep buying. But now I'm at a point where I'd like to buy an apartment building. So does that mean that all of these opportunities that come my way between two and four units um, or even two to six, I'll, I'll buy something that's six and up, but two to four units comes up what do I like? I don't want to pass this opportunity up. So now I've started to wholesale it a bit and like, and, and, you know, you're saying it's not big enough. So that's not really what you want anymore, which I totally get. Yeah. Be patient. It makes a lot of sense because if you get that 18 unit building, the upside is there and and you can, you can focus your efforts on one building and there's so much more upside there, especially if you can get it in a way where you're still okay, cash flow wise in your portfolio. And you just slowly work away over time. It's going oh, to be yeah. exponential. You, you can't quit your job by buying an apartment building because they just probably aren't going to cash flow. Like yeah. a lot of them I look at would make zero money off the bat, right? Yeah. Maybe they lose a thousand bucks a month. So you got to get a unit turned over, a couple of units turned over before all of a sudden now it's neutral. But if but I that'd can be stressful if you need that exactly. money, right? But it, you know, like, like if you've got a ton of cash flow every month and it just eats, eats away at it a little bit, not a big deal, right? And yeah, so I think it makes actually a lot of sense to to follow a very clear path of two to four units, do some, you know, burring in there, kind of buy, get your cash flow up, maybe leave your job. And then, you know, and then at that point, it makes sense. Maybe apartment buildings start making a little more sense because you have the cash flow. So if you were starting now and not when you did, would you be open to traveling to a, a further market? Uh, honestly, it's just not well suited to me. Uh, I think like... So I, you wouldn't have even gone down this road? No, I, I, uh, I would have, I really like investing in the city that I live in. Yeah. Um, so you maybe would have moved or you would have just not done it or, I, or found uh, a way. That's a good question. That's a good question. Um, yeah, I don't, assuming that I was presented with the opportunity and understood it, because I think that's a f- first thing off the bat, right? I might not have even thought about it if London hadn't been a great market for it. Um, but you know, if I'd seen what all these other people are doing, um, I might've been open, like, especially if I was working the day job still, like. I was I was pretty desperate at some point to get out. I mean, you know, I really wasn't passionate about it and I didn't want to do it for the next 40 years or whatever. So I, I would have wanted to find a way out. If that meant moving, you know what? There's a chance that I would have done it. I, I, you know, like instead of blowing my brains out, you know, like I, I think I think there's a chance I would have, but I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would have wanted to get I probably would have moved somewhere that um, 
uh, where there's people that I that I really resonate with, and then I would have um, and then I would have worked with them in whatever capacity it could. Or maybe there's a chance I would have learned how to invest remotely. I mean, not that I, I I know how. I just I would have taken the lead. Yeah, yeah, I really it's not my jam. I know it's this honestly though. Like even though I even though I'm in the same neighborhood as all my properties. I'm not going to them 90% of the time. Most of the time I am just yeah. sending a text. All this stuff is managed remotely anyway. You know, the, the typical process, a tenant sends you a text message. Uh, you, text me- you send a text message to your contractor. Uh, the contractor sends you a photo of the work completed and you send them an e-transfer. And all of this is done remotely. Yeah. Um, and, and, and like, that's the process I'm still following. Of course, there's probably some great, there's definitely Buildium and all these other, like good software out there. I'm keeping it pretty simple and honestly it's working out pretty well for me. I've got a to-do list. I'm I know whether it's assigned or not. And uh I mean as long as I'm staying on top of things and the list doesn't build to a point where it's unmanageable, uh works works quite well for me. And and all of this is remote management. It's well, the same I, thing. And it works well because you you only have a handful of actual buildings. Yeah. It, it, that's because you're 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 grouping them all together, right? If you had 52 different properties, yeah. then you would be at that point of insanity. Oh, you'd have to. Yeah. You'd have yeah. to at some point. It's it's at 14 buildings now, and like most of them are in, you know, most of them are in really. Cl- they're all close to me, so yeah, it's it's yeah. pretty manageable. You're killing, man. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, Kellen. Any words of wisdom for uh, for our listeners and viewers? Uh, you know, we have a lot of established investors listening to this that probably want to know how to go from where they're at and maybe a handful of properties to, to what you've done. Is there anything that uh, resonates for you that you would want to share? Like for me, like when I first started out, it was all bigger pockets podcast, just consuming this media as much as I could learning everything I could about it. And then getting to a point where like, you're never, you're never hundred percent ready. And I was just kind of ready to try and jump in. And uh, so I think consume as much as you can learn as much as you can get connected with as many people as you can. Um, build real relationships with these people. Yeah, add value to them. Add right. value. A big one. You have to like like for me. You know, if, if people are on YouTube and you want to support them, make sure you're commenting and liking on their stuff. Like whatever, right? You like Andrew Hines' podcast? Like, give leave them a review. Like all that. Whatever you can do to and to get your name yeah. on these people's radar and provide them value back um, is so important because otherwise you're just another name, right? You're just another person DMing them or whatever, right? So get connected with as many people as you can and like you know like get connected with if you can find mentors or coaches or whatever you can that you can that you can actually learn one-on-one with like i think honestly like it's something i never did it's something i never officially did but like early on you know matt mckeever uh rosehart uh dylan mclaughlin and i you know we started london on fire and we all hung out and i was learning a ton i I owned zero properties you know mckeever had 13 units at the time some some of them were student rentals and i was like I was blown away by what people were doing and you know i had unofficial mentors right and uh and then of course it didn't take me long to know what i was doing myself and start building building on my own but having those people around it i mean my portfolio wouldn't have grown the way it did if i didn't have these people around i was like first property 20 percent down and you know i you know matt was like do five percent down why would you do 20 and like i wouldn't have i, I was like well you know safety and whatever and it's like and eventually i kind of learned you know, I want to get as much money out of every deal as I could. And I had people helping me along the way. And uh, these days, it's hard to get in touch with those people. But however you can, you know, learn from those people like you have to. Because uh, otherwise, like I said, if I was jumping into London right now on my own, like I'd, I'd probably feel like it's a little futile as well. But with the right help, you can you can get if you've it. got your angle, right? Yes. Like, it's a yes. needle in a haystack if you want to find the traditional deal that everyone's been going after. But if you have an angle and if yes. you have a strategy that works for you, then then you can win in any market. Doesn't yes. doesn't matter how big. There there are people 
Um, I remember hearing Scott McGilvery say this, and he was he basically said there are people making money within 500 meters of you in real estate. Right, like you don't need to travel. I look at it as absolutely that's 100% true. Have your angle if you're going to do it that way. Uh, but it might just be the difference of picking a market where it's a needle in a haystack or a stack full of needles. Yes, so absolutely. <laughs> I do like the stack full of needles. But, oh, uh, absolutely. Whatever but, market you're in, you have to be connected with the yeah. people with people that are there. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you completely. So. I want to thank you for coming up and uh, and doing this in person. The first one we did over Zoom, so uh, yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's it's been great to uh, to connect in person again. And uh, I'll definitely be continuing to watch your journey because I think I think your portfolio size is more or less double from a, a dollar value from the last time you were on. So <laughs> so you've been moving. And, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, and and very special that there are no JVs in there. That's that's pretty rare. Not too many people do it that way. So I appreciate it. It's just it's not the only way, but it's the way I, I love to do it. So it, it definitely works. And then you're reaping the rewards now. That gain there that you have is, is all yours. Yeah. And, hey, I like again, not the only way, like you said. Yeah. But uh, definitely consider both options. But if you can make it work like you've done, I think that's great. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kellen. We'll uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. I'll see you on the next one. Mm-hmm.